Are you listening to us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or any other platform where you can leave a rate or review? Do you like what we're doing? If the answer to all of that is yes, please consider quickly giving us a five-star rate. And if you wouldn't mind leaving us a nice review, we greatly appreciate that as well. Okay, let's do this. Hello, welcome to the Ghosts of Harren Hall. My name's Simon. And I'm McKelly. Thank you for joining us for episode 62 of our chapter-by-chapter book review of A Song of Ice and Fire by George Martin. Today, we'll be discussing chapter 61 of A Game of Thrones. That's Danny 7. As always, we're going to chat about the chapter and try not to spoil any future plot points for you. And hopefully, we're going to provide you with some entertainment along the way. We'll summarise what's happened, discuss our thoughts on it, provide some useful background, compare it to the television show, indulge in a little pedantry, and cover some reader mail. Be sure to check out the show notes. Oh, by the way, my sister said she might start listening. And she said, do I need to read the book? I said... You don't have to read the book, but if you don't read the book, you should read the show notes. They will help you if you're not reading along. So exactly. That's why you should read the show notes. How are you, sir? I'm all right. I'm all right. That reminds me, my sister-in-law said a similar thing. She said, I want to listen to your podcast, but I haven't watched the TV show first. And I was like, well, <laughs> we don't uh, we don't do, do our show based on the TV show, so you don't have to read the TV show or watch the TV show at all. <laughs> yeah. So I think my I think my sister has watched the TV show, so she she'll get what's happening. You know, yes. she won't have to rely as heavily on the show notes as my as your sister in law. Right. So I have two toilet stories for you. Yes, I, I you mentioned this yesterday, and I've been very two curious. toilet stories, <laughs> not one but two. So you the first one, a great gif to uh, describe. Your stories. Oh, that, you liked that gift, didn't you? Yeah. 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 <laughs> They're just there in Teams. You just go into Teams, into the gift thing, and just I just typed toilet, and that was the <laughs> first one that came up. I was like, good enough for me. So, um, the first one is the first one is just like coronavirus madness and uh-huh. how stupid the world is. So, Carson, my wife, as you know, is a TA in a pre-K class, so four-year-olds. And she's been going into work now for like four or five weeks. She goes every day and she sits in an empty classroom with two other teachers. Yep. And they do video classes. Already stupid. If you're going to do video classes with the kids, why not just do that from home instead of spreading the disease? But anyway, okay. So they wear masks all the time and they're careful, but there's three of them in this classroom. It's not very big. Um, but when they go online with the kids, they take their masks off. And the rules are they can't have, be in the same room. And so there's basically there's two rooms. And so the TA and the teacher go in those two rooms. And Carson goes to the bathroom and does her video conference from the toilet. <laughs> she sits on the toilet for health reasons. For health reasons, she does <laughs> exactly. her, her work from the bathroom. <laughs> What happens if one of the kids needs to Well, use there aren't the any kids there. There aren't any kids. It's just the teachers. What? I don't get me started on how daft so this is. They go into the classroom to record. Uh-huh. Not to record, to do still... live classes, but they have to be in different rooms to do the live classes. But where are the kids? They are at home. So they're at, they go into the classroom and do live video, but there's no kids 
present. So correct. Couldn't couldn't Carson just do her video call from where you're sitting right now? Which is not a toilet. Right. You are not right. sitting. <laughs> to be clear. I can tell you are not sitting on a toilet. <laughs> so it's just crazy. I'm like, what? Why are they dragging you into the? I mean, they're dragging you from an environment which is secluded and safe and perfectly amenable to video conferencing with children. Yep. To having to sit on a toilet because there's no room for you to do this. <laughs> so I still don't get the why she has to sit in the bathroom part. Be- because they have to take that they take their masks off to do the video conference. And so the teachers they, can't be and, in the same room together. With and the they're not allowed to be in the same room. So they have two rooms and the are only the, thing they Are the rooms have. that small that the teachers would be less than six feet apart? Um I think they're not supposed to have the masks off even more than six feet apart. Huh. I was just thinking maybe one, you know, she could do it from one side of the room. The other one could do it from the other side of the room. You don't need that much yeah. space to to do a video call. Anyway, the other thing they when the kids come back, they're going to do na- they do nap time. Yeah, and I've I've been doing like optimization algorithms for how to lay fifteen children down on the floor of this classroom so that none of their faces are within six feet of each other. I saw the the schematic in our yeah yeah uh, on our Google Drive there. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. um, it's good that you have uh, so many degrees in mathematics. I'm sure it's come in handy. It did that did come in handy for that one. Yeah. All right, let's get down to business. Quick recap of what Danny was up to last time we saw her. Last we saw Daenerys Targaryen, she was narrowly avoiding quaffing poisoned wine. The near miss had convinced her husband, Khal Drogo, that they should cross the narrow sea and take back Westeros. The Kalasar was headed west from Bayestothrak. Why don't we give him the summary? Okay. Well, Danny surveys the scene of carnage. The Kalasar has come across... Kal Ogo and his riders laying waste to a town of Lazarine shepherds. No longer in Dothrock and bound to the internecine peace, Drogo attacked, destroying the town, killing Ogo, his son, and many of his men. It's a big win for Drogo, generating as many as 10,000 new slaves. Such a bounty could easily fund the excursion to Westeros. Sojora advises Danny that they head south to Marine, where they'll secure better prices for the slaves. Danny is not thrilled by the scenes of rape and pillage that unfold, and has Sajora and her bodyguards, very much against their wishes and advice, rescue several female slaves from their tormentors. More blood is shed. They find Caldrogo sporting a couple of nasty, but not life-threatening wounds, an arrow through his bicep and a gash across his chest. He's pleased to see Danny, but Mago arrives with a stream of angry words to Drogo, obviously about Danny, although her Dothraki was not good enough to catch it all. Drogo is puzzled and asks Danny what she's up to. Danny says that she thinks these slaves should be made wives of the warriors. Quotho snorts that horses don't marry sheep. Danny retorts that dragons eat both horses and sheep. Drogo is delighted. He find, he feels her spikiness is because she carries his fabled son. He tells Mago to go find a different lamb to mount. Drogo reaches for Danny, but Wince is in pain. She calls for a healer, but he has sent them all to tend to his wounded warriors first. One of the women Danny has rescued volunteers to help. Her name is Miri Mazdor, and she was a priestess and healer. She tells her backstory and has traveled far and learned much, from a Westerosi maester named Marwyn to others 
from as far away as a shy and the Jogos Nye. The Dothraki are skeptical of allowing her to help, but Jorah tells Danny the maesters know a lot about healing. Danny decides to trust the woman. They take Drogo to the temple where Miri's medicines are kept. She removes the arrow, stitches him up, applies antiseptic, and bandages him. It all looks good. Danny asks if Miri Mazdur, who's also a midwife, will help her when the baby comes. Quotho is not so convinced and tells Miri Mazdur that Drogo better be fine or she's for the high jump. <laughs> that, is that a British term for the high jump? I, I guess it is. I, when I wrote it, I thought, I wonder if McKelly will react to for the high jump. Yes. I did not know. I, I took a guess and it meant she's in big trouble. She's in big trouble. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's, I, th- I think usually it means sort of like you get fired, you know, get fired or, or perhaps. Oh, okay. I did not know that. I, I was a high jumper in high school. So you'd think you maybe. Were? I was familiar with such terms. But what, no. what could you high jump? My best? I, uh, six feet, two inches was what I did. Wow, that's impressive. I, I struggled to reach a bar six, two, six foot, two inches <laughs> by hand. <laughs> I too could jump onto a mat with a bar six foot two off the ground, but I would go under, not over. <laughs> that could be a competition too. You'll keep lowering the bar to see if you could slide through like a, like a mail slot. <laughs> yeah, so. Yeah, I mean, not a lot happens here. I mean, uh, not really. Danny is clearly, I mean, she's been turning Dothraki since the first Danny chapter, basically, but there are some things that the Dothraki do that she can't really stomach. Because she isn't. Yes. Yeah, no matter (laughs) how much she tries, it's just not, uh, not in her to, uh, deal with some of these murder and rape type, uh, situations. Jora comments that she's just like her brother, and Danny and pretty much everyone reading the chapter would have had a moment of what? <laughs> she's nothing like him. What are you talking about? But he uh, it dawns on us and is explained to Danny that he's talking about Rhaegar, which is it's an interesting point because just last chapter we were hearing from Maester Aemon, right. and we, we we were conjecturing that Maester Aemon was talking about somebody bringing shame on the family and that it might be Rhaegar that he was talking about. Yeah, yeah. And it's also a very conflicting view to the one that uh, Robert shared with Ned in the second Ned chapter when he said, how how many hundreds of times did Rhaegar rape Lyanna after he abducted her? So her stopping a rape uh, in Robert's mind would be very un like if he was raping Lyanna hundreds of times after he abducted her. Of course, Rhaegar and Robert's not exactly bosom buddies, so... Yes, yes. <laughs> so I do imagine Rhaegar getting a very fair hearing from Robert. Exactly. But, uh, go on. I was just going to say, I find it surprising that uh, Jorah seems to um, see Rhaegar in such uh, high regard. He's because Jorah's from the north, and he fought on the side of Robert's Rebellion, but yet he seems to speak rather highly of Rhaegar. He told Lyanna Rhaegar was the last dragon right here. He just, it seems to be paying her a compliment, saying you have like a, a tender heart like your brother Rhaegar. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think obviously we've heard before that the small folk really loved Rhaegar, yeah. and that obviously he did have some 
you know, by Targaryen standards, some very good qualities. Right. Um, there is another slightly more negative interpretation, which is if you think about what Rhaegar did at the turning of Harrenhal, where he gave the roses to Lyanna Stark instead of to his own wife, who was sitting right there, um, <laughs> there is the sort of like, this is someone who makes decisions based on their gut, their heart. Oh, yeah. And doesn't I see apply. What you're yeah. So yeah. maybe not calculating enough. Right. I, I don't think he meant that. I think he meant it entirely as a compliment. But if they are similar, then that might be a character flaw that Danny shows at some point. Right. Kind of wears her emotions on her sleeve and lets her emotions rule her decision making. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yep. So, you know, Danny's making strides at. You know, uh, I think a lot of the Dothraki have begun to like and respect her, but taking from the warriors that which they'd earned by in the fight is not going to go very well. Uh, not going to win her friends and influence. No, no, it's not. Uh, <laughs> she, she's very, luckily, Kyle Drogo seems to be very fond of her, uh, and puts up with this kind of, of thing because she could have gotten in some big trouble. Even she was worried that maybe she had crossed the line at one point. But yeah, yeah, he seems to be quite fond of her. Yeah. Now, he the he killed two calls in this particular fight, and the two calls are Kal Ogo, and after he died, his Kalaka, which is his son and his uh, likely heir, Kal Fogo. Fogo became a Kal after Ogo died, and back in the previous chapter when they were in Vase Dothrak, the one where. Uh, she had to eat the horse heart, and then Viserys got his crown mm-hmm. from from Drogo. It was Call Ogo and his son Fogo that sat with uh, Drogo at the high table of honor. So this this yeah. is quite a departure from those times of getting along and being brotherly. I guess. Yes, yes. <laughs> the peaceful bonhomie of Vice Dothrak does yes. not stretch very far. <laughs> um. So one thing we didn't really mention in the summary was this uh, Drogo's Kalasar actually came across Ogo's Kalasar attacking this town. Yeah. And basically they rode in and destroyed Ogo's Kalasar and then continued the job of <laughs> right. destroying the town. Finished what Ogo started. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and one of the things they did, one of the things Danny sees, she says, she's talking about all the various things that are dead as she's riding into the town, and she says the thing that's been dead the longest are all the sheep. And then she thinks, I know it was Ogo's Kalasar who killed the sheep because uh, no one in Drogo's Kalasar would waste an arrow on a sheep when they know there's shepherds to be killed. And I, I wondered why they killed all the sheep in the first place, and I guess they don't care much for mutton. Because <laughs> it seems like a large... Uh, you know, crop of uh, <laughs> food source sitting here. <laughs> what you don't know is that the Lazarine have very carefully trained their sheep to be watchdogs. Oh, okay. So they had to take <laughs> them around to... first. <laughs> exactly. They're the most important element. Of the... <laughs> yeah, I thought he must have a sizable art, a uh, sizable Kalasar. If Drogo's is forty-five thousand, and Jorah mentions that. There are about 10,000 left after the battle and after most of his men flee. They have a pretty size, he has a pretty sizable Kalasar. They might have wanted to, to keep a few of those around for, uh, food purposes. Maybe, you know, 
uh, make some sweaters out of their <laughs> wool <laughs> that they could barter with. It'd be, it'd be funny if all of the uh, Dothraki warriors sat down and started sort of carding the, the wool to try and get it. <laughs> and they're all knitting. We are not leaving here until I got a big old scarf. Come on. <laughs> I need an affinity scarf before heading to <laughs> Westeros. But but actually, so so it's funny you said that about Ogo's Kalasar because I wasn't sure how big it was. But this town, the ten thousand, you think are mostly from Ogo's Kalasar, not the town. You think the town was quite a bit smaller than this. He doesn't say specifically. Yeah. What he says is most of Drogo's riders have fled. But there's still about ten thousand slaves, so right. you know we don't know what makes up which portion. Yeah, Danny, yeah. Danny mentions that there are both the town people slaves and the Dothraki slaves, which we'll get into here shortly about the Dothraki uh, slaves. But so I don't know what the breakdown is of um, Dothraki slaves versus Lazarene slaves. Right, right, and presumably. Um, Ogos Kalasar had some non-Dothraki or some Dothraki slaves of their own as well. So I guess so. You, you, probably some of those get transferred across as well. Yeah. So no. we've been mentioning the, the Lazarine. They're from Lazar in the southwest of, which is southwest of Vice Dothrak. Um, it's towards the southern coast of Essos, um, not far from what's known as Slaver's Bay, which is where Jorah was recommending the. Uh, Kalasar heads now to sell their new slaves right. to make the money for the ships. Yeah. And Danny remembers that Caldrogo told her that these Lazarine belong south of the river and that the Dothraki Sea is not for sheep. Now he's referring to the Skahazadan River and I, he she didn't specify this but what I took from that is possibly did he mean that this attack was because they had built a town north of the Skahazadan and they were destroying it, saying, you don't belong here, this isn't your area, you belong south of the river. Uh, that's a good question, actually, because I did wonder about the motivation for this attack. I mean, obviously, you you want to sort of, like, get slaves wherever you can and apparently kill sheep for fun, but <laughs> um, it, it does seem sort of like gratuitous, but maybe you're right. Maybe that's it. Maybe it's a, a matter of territory. They crossed over because they saw all this rich grazing land that their sheep could uh, make use of. And so... Yeah. Because because at no point does it describe the Lazarine as nomadic. I mean, it feels like they set up an, a, an encampment, more than an encampment, a town here. Yeah, they're kind of like farmers is how I... Yeah. Um, Right. It. Yeah, they're not they're not nomads. Which which you gotta wonder about this decision. I mean, that grass must look greener on the other side of the river. But <laughs> it's gonna be redder what, pretty soon with your blood. Exactly. If, <laughs> if that's what happens to you, if you happen to get caught by the Dothraki, I mean I might take them across the river, graze them and bring them back every right, night. Yeah, like that the might sneak seem attack like a on the other side of the river. Yeah. Yeah, I, I had mean, that we, same thought. Uh, <laughs> Setting up shop well, on the northern side of the river, unless there's been no uh, warning. Like, th this is the first time this has ever happened. Uh, seems like maybe <laughs> not a great idea. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, back to the issue of slavery. I wonder, um, so this, a lot of Ogo's men escaped, but, but presumably some of Ogo's fighting, some of his warriors were captured. And I wondered if there's any room for them in... Uh, 
Caldrogo's Kalasar. It, it seems to me that that's how a Kalasar would grow. Yes. By subsuming other warriors. But he never, that, that never gets a mention here either. It's all slaves all ran away, basically. Yeah. I, I had the same thought. I thought it seemed like an odd tradition of sla- enslaving your own people. Uh, if all members of defeated Kalasars automatically end up as slaves of the new one, to, does that mean that when Rego unites all the Kalasars, the entire Dothraki nation will basically be slaves to him? <laughs> the, the economy of slavery just does not hold up. No, it doesn't. I mean? At some point, you got to become one people. I mean, they are one. That's the thing. They're one people. They have the same traditions, customs, values, beliefs. So why are you enslaving them? Okay, maybe you give certain members of that callous are like lowly jobs until they prove themselves or something right yeah yeah but i'm not sure that enslaving them all is the way to go yeah and of course i mean you want to be careful which ones are the blood riders because cal ogo's blood riders have got it in for you right now yes those maybe you you want to kill or or uh sell as slaves or something Uh, maybe maybe kill those guys yeah yeah (laughs) and it's also it's very different compared to westeros because in westeros usually when you know you defeat a group in battle you get them you get a pledge of fealty from them and then they become part of your group you know right <laughs> yeah it's it's not like cal drogo had a vastly different political outlook than cal ogo right <laughs> they ride around the dothraki sea killing people that's what they do oh i'm not doing that i mean i'd do it for ogo but <laughs> not for you <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> What do you think I am? Put me in slavery. Yeah, and Danny's upset by all this, um, and she thinks of it as uh, the price to pay, the price of war, and the price to pay for the Iron Throne. But again, we've mentioned this before. This is what Westeros very well might look like if she takes all these Dothraki over to Westeros. She takes a Kalasar forty-five thousand Dothraki warriors to Westeros. They're not going to defeat you in battle and then say have your lord pledge fealty to us and then everything's good again at some point you need someone to be able to sell your slaves too (laughs) you enslave everyone (laughs) well that's just a lot of mouths to feed at this point you know yeah yeah so we skipped over it in the summary but um when jorah and danny are riding sort of through the scene of the aftermath um there's a slightly odd anecdote about Sajora actually killing one of Drogo's men yeah. for teasing him about the fact he was wearing armor for the battle. Yeah. Which seemed, I mean, it seems a very Dothraki thing to do. And so I think the Dothraki would respect him for that. But he, he isn't Dothraki. Right. And it feels like you might be overstepping the mark. I mean, sure, you did save them from the poison wine. Yeah. You've earned some credit, but... Killing members of the Kalasar seems like it might be a step too far. Yeah. Especially just before a battle where you need that guy. You know? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That was before the battle because they were making fun of him when he put his armor on, which likely you would do prior to a battle. So Where yeah. you would think. Although, if Jorah was putting his armor on after the battle was over, I think they were right to tease him. I agree. <laughs> that, <laughs> that must have been the reasoning there. <laughs> Why are you putting it on now? <laughs> I think the point of the scene was to to show that uh, 
Jorah is a good fighter and he's, you know, not to be taken lightly. He's kind of a, a badass. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, if he j- just killed a shepherd, that would not be yeah, that impressive. Yeah. He could have killed one of Ogo's men to achieve the same goal, just FYI. <laughs> <laughs> True. Yeah. Would have served Although he might not have had the element of surprise there. <laughs> How do they tell so, each other apart? It's not like they wear sigils and stuff, you know? Like Interesting question. They're fighting their own people. These are Doth Rock this yeah. is Dothraki on Dothraki violence here. How, uh, do Kalasars wear different colored vests or something? Or you know, for a fact, Carl Frey would just switch sides whenever he felt <laughs> like. <laughs> right. <laughs> so um, when when they're discussing what to do with these ten thousand slaves, Jorah's slave knowledge comes in handy. Remember, yeah. Jorah was banished for uh, selling slaves. Um, it was a bit strange that he talked to Danny about that, though. I, that's the kind of thing I might probably talk to Cal Drogo about. You yeah. know, hey, we can go and get a good price for this in Marine because that's where they, uh, that's where the slave trade runs. Telling Danny while she's about, while she's barfing at the seams <laughs> and like getting visibly upset seems like a odd choice. Yeah. And, you know, I thought about Ned, you know, he, he was going to, uh, do worse than, uh, exile Jorah if he got a hold of him. For going to exile his head from his yeah, shoulders. Yeah, for selling uh, poachers to uh, slavers. And I, I was thinking maybe Ned had the right of it. Maybe uh, he's this Jorah is not as uh, all cr- that he's uh, cracked up to be here. I mean, he's a knight. He took a vow to protect the innocent, but he seems completely unfazed by all this and lobbying for selling the surviving children to fund their journey to westeros he actually had a plan for it it's not like he was just like yeah he'll probably sell the the children he's like here's the plan because maureen because maureen just had a plague they need more prostitutes and young boys so we can (laughs) sell them there and really fund our our journey yeah yeah i mean the the other thing to remember is that that if if rumor is now, I'm getting confused now between TV show and uh, books. We call me if I overstep the mark here. But don't we believe he's got a pardon for his efforts? We believe he was offered a pardon, that, that that was on the table. But being last chapter, the fact that he... Prevented the assassination yeah, rather the, than uh, encouraged. Yeah. I'm, I'm guessing... It might not be happening, right. Yeah. I, I was thinking... I think in the TV show, he's in possession of a pardon at this point. Oh. And so... If if he were, then his sort of like abandoning all scruples to get to the uh, boat back to Westeros might be just sort of self serving. Yeah, yeah, that that makes sense. Yeah, I, I in the book we have not heard anything about a pardon. We knew there was a lordship and a pardon for him, I guess, if he managed to kill right. Danny and the child. But that went out the window when he thwarted the wine uh, poison attack. He. They don't know about Ned yet, do they? They don't know about Ned's arrest. No, not... Because that's, that's another thing that would bring him home. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> Once he learns that Robert's dead and Ned is under arrest, he's like, well, that's pretty much everyone who hates my guts. Right. I'm just going to waltz on back to Bear Island now. i got that sword there waiting for me. But I also wondered... I, I was thinking about Jorah and how he reacted in this situation. I wondered how his father... 
uh, Lord Commander Gior Mormont would have reacted. And I doubt that he'd think about the best slave deals that he could get. <laughs> Just... But that, that being said, I mean, once you know something, you know it. Yeah. You know? Even if, even if you're not proud of it, you know it. Right. Can't you know, I, I know. I know the lyrics to some Spice Girls songs. <laughs> I'm not proud of it. But if it comes on the radio, I can sing along, you know. I'm literally lying. I do not. I'm trying to I think of one right now, and I can't think of a yeah. Spice Girls song. <laughs> my my son, because the Spice Girls are English, he constantly accuses me of liking them. <laughs> <laughs> Has he gotten you a Spice Girl shirt for uh, Christmas uh, or anything? Don't, don't encourage it. So... Danny stops the rape that's going on, and uh, that also leads to some bloodshed, as uh, I believe two of the rapers end up dead right. in that fight. One from Jogo, and uh, yeah, one one gets an arrow through him, and the other, I think Jogo like takes his head off or something. So uh, more more bloodshed of. Uh, Dothraki on Dothraki bloodshed here, and this is within their own Kalasar. So Kalasar, right? Yeah. But Danny asks Dorea to tend to the rape victim because Dorea doesn't have a rider's look. She's not Dothraki. She's Lysini, and she has black uh, hair and fair skin. And she thinks that this girl might react more positively to someone who doesn't uh, look like the people who were just raping her. So, if you're wondering why she she mentioned Dor. Dorea doesn't look like the rest. That's why she's Lysini. Yeah. And then the, the next thing, next thing that happens is they go and they, they meet with Caldrogo and the blood riders, Caldrogo's blood riders, uh, kind of factor into this part of the chapter. So real quick, we just wanted to go over who the blood, blood riders are just to remind you. And, um, Quotho is the most sadistic of the blood riders. He's cruel and he likes to hurt. And he's very rough with Dorea and Eri. And da- Danny's most afraid of him, right? Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Koholo, on the other hand, is the oldest blood rider. And remember, uh, I think I gave this in background once upon a time. He saved Caldrogo as a youth. And so he's been kind of a, a favorite of Caldrogo for a long time. And he's the kindest of the blood riders to Danny. And then we've got Hago who we don't know much about Hago, other than that he's a large man. And the one thing we do know is that he is the one that shattered Viserys' wrist uh, before Caldrogo dumped the uh, pot of uh, whatever whatever metal. Molten gold. gold. Yes. yes. Was it gold? Was it molten gold? I think it was, yeah. Over his it head. Was. It was Hago who shattered his wrist. And then Ago also features in this scene. Uh, I think it's Quotho tells him to cut Mary Mazdor's tongue out and he holds the knife up to her throat and Ago is a member of Danny's Koss so that's who all these folks are that that feature in right. this section of the chapter right we'll be right back hello friends are you ready to make some unforgettable memories well if so consider the Marriott Bonvoy program Discover the perfect destination for your summer getaway and unlock exclusive deals on luxurious accommodations. With our affiliate partnership, you'll enjoy unbeatable savings and a seamless booking experience. Don't let summer slip away. Visit Marriott Bonvoy today and make this vacation season one for the books. 
Use our Ghosts of Heron Hall affiliate page to check it all out and buy Bonvoy points or give some as a gift. The link to our page is in the show notes. So, so Danny goes to Drogo with a, a growing uh, uh, retinue, entourage yes. <laughs> of uh, freed female slaves. Um, and she's closely followed by Margot, who's one of the people who she's taken the slaves from. Yep. And Margot uh, goes and blurts Dothraki at Khal Drogo so quickly that Danny can't follow it. Uh, but Drogo listens carefully and then looks at her with a sort of quizzical look like, what have you been up to? <laughs> and she... <laughs> that, yeah, she explains that she's taken them, you know, as as her own slaves. And that if if the warriors want them as slaves, they should make them wives. Right and Quo- Quotho not a fan uh, of that makes idea. the race <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, he says, "Does the horse breed with sheep?" And that's when Danny replies, "Well, the dragon feeds on horse and sheep alike." Yeah, and she says right there that at that moment Quotho reminded her of Viserys, and and Drogo thinks that Danny's fierce response back to Quotho is Ray uh, Rago, her his unborn child being inside of her is making her spicy and feisty. Um, it, it could also possibly be that she's feeling more comfortable in her position as the Khaleesi of the Kalasar. But I was also thinking that maybe because of the way he spoke to her, Quotho reminding her of the series caused her to lash out in anger that stirred from you know lingering bad feelings about being spoken to by the series like that. I'll add a fourth idea. When you know you're doing something that nobody's going to approve of, it's often a good idea to sort of like just really go for right. it. Like, you know, all, all guns blazing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and she's really much, she's very much in that boat right here. Yes, she's not sure. going to be able to convince anyone. So she better start shouting at them. Yeah. This is the part after she said that where she thought, uh oh. Did I just cross the line here? <laughs> but no, that's uh, Khal Drogo. He's very impressed at her feistiness. Yeah. I, I wonder if she... Has she not shown much of that, do you think? I mean, I'm trying to think back. I mean, I feel like she was like that when Viserys was killed. She was stoic and didn't Yeah, she didn't, she didn't cry. Um, she didn't, like, actively do anything, but she also didn't react negatively either. So yeah, that probably uh, yeah. Khal Drogo noticed the stoicism in her. And she ate a seven pound horse's heart, which I that... have on good authority is not an easy thing to do. Now that is some serious uh, feistiness right there. She's all, she's yeah. definitely all in on this if she ate a horse heart. Yeah. And it, by ripping it with her hands and teeth, nonetheless. She didn't even yeah. get silverware. But then we, we meet Mary Mazdor here. Khal uh, Drogo's injuries, they don't look, I mean, huh, easy for me to say. That they yeah. Don't look that bad. <laughs> I remember that time when that arrow went through my bicep. I laughed that off. <laughs> it was nothing. Uh, uh, he's got a arrow through his bicep and a slash across his chest. In fact, his nipple is gone, she, she notices. Ouch! I know. <laughs> um. But there are no healers around because all the heal- healers are off tending to the hurt warriors. And so Miri Mazdor says, I'll do it. I can I can heal you. And she's kind of a tough one to figure out because 
She's here in this Lazarine village, but Danny notices that she's dressed in fine clothing, significantly finer than anybody else was wearing in the village. And we discover she's got maester training. She's learned from the Jogos Nai and Asai mages. And she also speaks Dothraki and the common tongue very well. So that, there's a lot going on here in this Miri Mazder. What is she doing in this random Lazarine village? Hmm. Yeah. But I mean, I think I think that's a common element in the stories. You know, people turning up in surprising places. Look at look at the very last chapter we looked at. Uh, uh, Maester Aemon. Right. Turns out to be Aemon Targaryen, who had the opportunity to be king of the realm. You know. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. And just shows up there. You you might ask the same question. What's he doing here? You know. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, she. She's supposed to be a priestess and a you know leader of the village, and she's got uh, you know she she from all of this travel and learning that she did, she's got skills at healing and yeah. uh, uh, midwifery and. Uh, You'd think she would things. use that at a in a bigger location like uh, Maureen or Astapor or something like that. Yeah. You know? they're not too far away yeah. from uh, where she is right now and. Lazar. Yeah. The the other thing is her volunteering. I mean, I, I can imagine that the slaves that Danny just freed, and I use air quotes around freed because she's not really freeing them. She's seems to be making them her own personal slaves. Right. Yeah. There doesn't seem to be any sense of letting them go. Yeah. But um, it, you, you would listen attentively when they were talking to each other about you know getting his wound stitched up, and if you had the skills. Would you volunteer? Would you volunteer to help? I mean, these people just killed everyone you knew and loved. I mean, right? Yes, you're. She's freeing them from the same person who put them in that position. You know, like is the call and his Kalasar that caused all the death and destruction in her village in the first place. So, do you trust this person to then heal the call? There's one of two ways you could look at it. You know, if you're an optimist, you would think, well, she wants to prove her worth and maybe elevate herself in the slave stock situation here. Maybe she can position herself a little bit better. If you're a pessimist, like all three of the Blood Rider are, you'd say, no <laughs> way, this lady's got, uh, she's up to no good here. We don't trust her. The, the, her own case that she makes for herself is that she says, you know, we're all one people. You know, every, anyone who's her, you know, deserves to be tended to, you know, right. without exception. So she's, and, and she's obviously, you know, sort of like religious, and it seems to be a religion of peace and love rather than a religion of fire and brimstone. So, yeah, it's how, how it sounds anyway. But Danny's rationale is that. This old, homely, thick-bodied woman didn't look like a magi, so you know. a magi being a a, a witch, witch or a wizard of some yeah, sort. Yeah, that's what Koholo uh, yeah. or uh, no, it's a uh, Kotho says that she's a magi, and Danny had heard from uh, one of her handmaidens about these magis, and it was they were terrifying. They come and they like you know suck the soul out of people and stuff. And she was like, "Well, this this lady doesn't look like a magi." <laughs> not the way you portrayed it anyway right but also she's the only one she's the only one that thanks danny danny kind of as she's riding through the village she's gathering 
you know, women that are currently being raped and taking them as part of her uh, posse. And none of them thank her except for Miri Mazdor. So, you know, I was thinking it could be politeness, just general politeness. Maybe it's because she clearly has a leadership position in the village and, you know, is, has more confidence to speak up to her. Or maybe it's because she doesn't really belong here because she doesn't seem to be like the rest of the people. So Yeah, interesting. So, but Jorah, because she can speak common tongue, she says that she's travelled with a maester. Jorah says, well, the maesters are the people who are have the most learning and healing in Westeros, so that's pretty good credential for me. Um, so we, the last part of the chapter, which we didn't go into in much detail, is basically her stitching up uh, Khal Drogo, and uh, he grits it, he grits his teeth and goes through it all, and it yeah. sounds pretty painful, but... But everything she does seems to be what you'd expect a healer to do. I mean, with given the equipment she had, she uses, you know, she stitches him up. She puts hot wine into the cuts to uh, disinfect them. And then she wraps him in a bandage with a poultice of some sort. Yeah. The only thing that I found weird is that she said there will be a fever and that not to drink wine or milk of the poppy. Now, I know she didn't get that particular training from... Uh, the maester, because in Westeros, they treat everything with wine and milk of the poppy. So <laughs> she must have gotten that one from one of the other uh, groups she That's learned true. from. So so having, having watched her in action, Danny's convinced that she's got skills, so she asks her to be the midwife for when Rago comes. But at the same time, Corvo reminds Miriam Azdur that if this doesn't work out, that she's going to uh, meet a similar fate to yeah, Carl Rago. So. right. Yeah, I, am, I I I was struck by the fact she said there would be a fever. It feels like if she's done her job right, there won't be a fever. Right. She should have protect. What she was doing was protecting him from infection, and that does make you wonder. Well, if she is intentionally poisoning him, perhaps she's giving herself a few days extra to say, "I said there would be a fever. Yeah, he'll get better." Exactly. That's what yeah. I just yeah. That struck me as odd too. The, none of the injuries have been lingering long enough that they would get infected if she wasn't keeping it clean going forward, you know? Right. right. So, anyway. All right, you got some background? I got a little bit here. Uh, one of the things that, one not one of the things, one of the groups of people that Miri Mazdor mentions learning her healing from was the Moon Singers of the Jagos Nye. Now, if you remember, I think we talked about the Jagos Nye just the previous Danny chapter. We did. Yeah. Uh, they're mm-hmm. nomadic people that live east of the Bone Mountains, and they're the ones that bind their heads at the top so that they have pointy heads. And, and they're also the ones that ride Zorses, which seem like zebras, basically. I guess they're a cross <laughs> between a zebra and a horse, maybe. I don't know. Which would be a zebra, as far as I'm aware. Exactly. <laughs> Moonsingers are priestesses of the Jogos Nye. However, their religion has spread over Essos as Moonsingers were among the escaped slaves that founded the city of Bravos, one of the free cities on the western side of Essos. Each band of Jogos Nai is led by a warrior chief called a Jat and a Moonsinger. A Jat commands in matters of war, raid, and battle. However, the Moonsinger commands over any other aspect in the band's life, including acting as priestesses, healers, and judges. And males can also be moon singers. However, this requires boys to dress and live as women. We'll be right back. This episode is sponsored by Audible. 
To get a free audiobook, or two if you're an Amazon Prime member, go to our exclusive URL, audibletrial.com slash ghostsherrenhall. You can find the link in our show notes. Yeah, interesting. So um, the maester that Miri um, claims to have traveled with was called Marwyn. Um, there was indeed uh, a, an archmaester called Marwyn. Um, he was known to have traveled for eight years in Essos, and it's from his writings that most of our knowledge of Ashai is uh, gleaned. Uh-huh. So uh, that does back up her story. It does. That's background information that obviously um, Danny didn't have at her fingertips. Right. But... <laughs> the best they could do. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the best they could do was Jorah saying, what does this maester wear around his neck? <laughs> and what would you what would you recommend for bunions? Milk of the puppy? Okay. <laughs> you know your stuff. <laughs> Boiled wine? <laughs> so Drogo's Blood Rises all assume immediately that Miri is a witch. Um, she claims to have healing arts. And that got me thinking about why that connection exists. Because that connection exists, or used to exist anyway, here in our world. Right. That... Um, uh, basically, a woman who could heal was therefore a witch. And I read, a, I sort of just doing a little bit of research on that, I very, read a very interesting piece by Barbara Ehrenreich, who's a writer that I've read other things by, um, on the association between midwifery and uh, healing generally and witchcraft. Often the ability to heal, particularly in obstetrics, was proof, was considered proof that of witchcraft. That's all you had to do was just, if you, if, if someone could say, oh, she successfully um, helped me when I had a difficult birth, that was proof of your witchcraft and you could be burned at the stake. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> that doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but okay. No, yeah. Uh, but what was particularly, I mean, I mean, I think, I think all this is known. I mean, this, you know, I mean, most people recognize that this kind of thing went on. But there was an interesting facet of her thesis, of Barbara Ehrenreich's thesis, was that one of the motivations for the witch hunts of the 14th and 17th centuries was the, at the, the simultaneous elevation and codification of the nascent but expanding formal medical universities. Okay. They were on the rise in that same period. They were exclusively male. Right. And these healing women were in their turf, were in their territory. Okay. I see. And so not that they not that they organized the witch hunts, but that they gave they were very much part of the patriarchy, you know, and they gave right. tacit support to rooting out these women yeah. and making sure that this didn't go on anymore. And so, um, basically, to a certain extent, I think this continues even today, because I know that in the United States, for instance, there's quite a strong uh, divide between midwives and obstetric doctors. Sure. They don't seem to like each other. Right, yeah. And it feels like it's a, it's a it's a strange uh, it's a strange remnant of an earlier time but anyway i just thought it was interesting stuff that is interesting yeah. thank you for sharing so that. um you're welcome so comparison with the television show um it was somewhat simplified there uh, there's none of ogo's kalasar it's just the drogo's kalasar laying waste to the lazarine okay um Danny does rescue Miri Mazdur and grabs a bunch of other women at the same time. In the in the book, she sort of saved one woman, then saved another woman, then saved another woman. It was kind of like a, a, a herd of them in one fell swoop. Okay, uh, and and nobody gets hurt in the process, so no, there's no bloodshed. Then at that at the point, she's rescuing them. 
She goes to Caldrogo, but Mago gets there first. He's already talking to Caldrogo before she even gets there. Oh, all right. So, yeah. Uh, Drogo is not hurt at this point. Oh. There's a slight difference. Drogo is not hurt. That is because, that's quite the difference. Right, because she gets angry in the same way. He gets happy about that in the same way. He tells Mago to go find another lad. But instead, Mago challenges Drogo. Oh, that's a bad says, idea. Exactly, it was a very bad idea. But he wounds Drogo. Obviously, Drogo wins the fight. Yeah. But Mago wounds Drogo on the chest, and that's the wound that Miriam Azdur has to cure. Oh, okay. But what's funny about it is it was entirely self-inflicted, because basically Drogo decides to fight without any weapons in his hands. Uh, All right. (laughs) Mago Mago has his curved sword. Yeah. Drogo comes empty-handed. And at one point, Mago's sword is against his chest. And instead of doing what I would do, which is like back away very quickly, yes. he pushes himself onto it, flexing his pecs, you know. Ow. Why? Ouch, exactly. <laughs> because he's Cal Drogo. He can do that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so the scene ends with Drogo accepting Miri's help. We Thankfully, we don't get to watch all the surgery. Um, so I, I welcome that decision. Yeah. But otherwise, very similar. Okay. So, um, pedantry corner. I thought of one, but then I had to retract it. The one I thought of was it's she, when she's taking the arrow out of his arm, she takes the head of the arrow off and then pulls the shaft back out, yeah. which didn't seem right. But, but I, I then reread it and the arrow had passed through. So that would make sense that you take the head of the arrow yeah. off and then pull the thing out. I thought it was just embedded. Otherwise. I thought it was embedded in there and it seemed like that would be the worst possible scenario, <laughs> but it had passed through. So yes, no, no pedantry there. You had one though. I don't know if it's pedantry or not. Maybe I just don't fully understand Dothraki culture, but the braids and bells thing confuses me some. Now, so what happens is, after a, after a Dothraki warrior has a first battle that they survive, they can start growing their hair in a braid, and they don't cut that hair until they lose in a battle, until they're defeated in a fight, basically. And every time they win a fight, they add bells to their hair. So, if you keep your braid, if you win a battle, and add bells when you do, it seems like most living male Dothraki would have braids and bells because either you win your fight and add bells and keep the braid or you lose and die. So I I just don't see a lot of mercy or submission going on in a Dothraki fight. Just in this chapter alone, we've heard of three, three deaths within their own Kalasar that were easily avoidable. They were just disputes and it ended in death. So yeah, I just... I don't know. It just doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me that that I'm with you. It it feels like it feels like the oldest person in the Kalasar would have the longest braid and the most bells, right? Because you've survived it all. You know? Yeah, exactly. And but maybe that is the way that they do take the warriors of the opposing Carl on board. They cut their hair, but they keep them on as warriors. Yeah, could be. We, all we know is that he said he mentioned that a lot of Ogos. Um, Warriors fled, but they still have about ten thousand slaves. We yeah, don't know yeah. if any of those ten, any of the slaves, are warriors. You would think they would have killed all the warriors because they don't. There doesn't seem to be a whole lot of submission or mercy 
in the Dothraki culture for warriors. Yep. News and notes. News and notes. Um, I, this is all you, because I've tried to read your notes here, and it's just gibberish to me. I have no idea what you're going to say. As here. usual, my, my notes are gibberish. Yes, it's done in my own version of shorthand so that I could remember, which oftentimes what gets cut out of the episode is me reading it over going, what am I trying to say here? So what I'm trying to say is that uh, another interview with George Martin for the book um, Fire Cannot Kill a Dragon by James Hibbard. And and this one, he talks about um, a scene that he criticizes uh, because he didn't like the way they did it in the in the TV show versus how he did it in the book. He we had discussed this before uh, in the chapter where this came up, which was actually chapter eleven, episode twelve, Danny two. We <laughs> we we you brought this up in comparison with the TV show. Um, George Martin disagrees with uh, our take on it, but uh, the showrunners David Benioff and uh, David Weiss, I think his name is. Um, yep. They were on our side. So here's what his issue was. It was when it was the consummation of the marriage scene after Danny and Cal Drogo got married. Okay. Remember they went. In, I don't remember. I don't remember the book and the thing being that different. Uh, so here's what he, here's what Martin says. Why did the wedding scene change from a consensual seduction scene that? that excited even a horse to a brutal rape scene of Amelia Clark. We never discussed it. It made it worse, not better. And what he's referring to is that in the show, the two char- when the two characters have their consummation scene, Daenerys was forced into it with Khal Drogo, and she's left kind of visibly shaken about it afterward. However, right. both the showrunners and the actors felt like it just didn't jive, that just... Like, there wasn't enough time to get in Danny's head to understand how she could go from being terrified of this man to, you know, willfully, a 13 to 14 year old girl, girl willfully wanting to consummate this relationship with the significantly older Khal Drogo. So. Right. Right. Okay. We had mentioned that as well. We have mentioned that, you know, where this, in the book, it kind of makes the scene seem very sweet and tender and special, but. Really, is a thirteen-year-old girl being raped by a adult man? So yes, exactly, exactly. Well, thank you for that. That's that's interesting. Yeah, I I I think George Martin should change his attitude to that. Yeah, I don't think it does him any favors right. to hear him say those things. Yeah. Anyway, let's conclude. Let's... So, Danny, she's not really Dothraki. She's appalled by rape, slavery. Uh, she's trusting of captives. She's blind to the payoffs and needs of her warriors. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Does she really have what it takes to be a Dothraki? Yeah, that's a good, that's a good point. Yeah, she's failing. Does to... she have what it takes? Does she have what it takes to win Westeros? I mean, right, you win or you die. You yeah, know? there's no room for mercy there. That's what she's going to get more of this when she takes the Kalasar yeah. to Westeros. So yeah, she better get used. to You it. saw where Mercy got Ned Stark, right? Yeah, exactly. And but Mormont compares Danny uh, to her brother Rhaegar. And we're assuming it's Danny's uh, kind-heartedness, where you know she took pity on the the young girl who she mentions was about her same age. So you know she probably probably very hard for her to watch that. But it it kind of creates a complex picture of the dead prince um, that we continue to uh, 
to have pieced together for us. Yeah, I mean, I mean, we we talked about this earlier. You know, I mean, he was beloved and kind and exceptional in battle, but a little bit rash, a bit impetuous, right? A little bit oblivious to the consequences of his actions. (laughs) Man, I tell you what, I've been married for twenty-one years. If I won a uh, a rose, a, a crown of roses, and rode past Stacy and handed it to some other girl, I would have to have gotten knocked in the head pretty good to not know what the consequences of those actions were. (laughs) You would have to hope that the kingdom fell apart. (laughs) (laughs) That's the only way. The only thing that would save you. (laughs) Uh, And previously, Bormont had described him as valiant, honorable, and noble. And uh, I I looked up some other things that people had said about him previously. Barristan Selmy described him as determined, deliberate, dutiful, single-minded. And I was I was struck by that last one, that single-minded. Right. uh, Yeah. That could go to sort of like perhaps his downfall. He was like, "Woohoo! Look at that girl!" (laughs) And get all single-minded on that. And uh, blinders on as he rode toward her with the uh, crown of roses. Yeah. So the Kalasad now has the wherewithal to get to Westeros. That's something that we had noted earlier. It was a bit of a challenge. Yeah. Uh, but You know, I guess the plan changed because Rego's title, what they what he's prophesied to be, is the stallion that mounts the world. Now, right as he's about to be born, they're about to ship him off to Westeros. And then later he's going to have to come back and be the stallion that mounts the world because I'm pretty sure the Dothraki... Uh, consider the world to be Essos. And if he's going to unite all of the Kalasars, he's going to have to get back to Essos to do it. Well, here's what Drogo's thinking. My infant son could take Westeros. <laughs> right, that's what it is. Yeah. <laughs> he'll get, he'll cut his teeth in Westeros <laughs> and then he'll come back here where the real men live. Yes. Where the, where the hapless Lazarine just sit around in the grass waiting for us to kill them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that must be his plan because otherwise they've uh, they've changed from the original plan of of taking yeah. over Essos first and then tackling Westeros. Yeah. Well, but I mean, I think I think we did say this last time that that uh, last time we we had a Danny chapter that the attempt on her life had changed Drogo's attitude. You know, yeah. he'd gone right. Let's, yeah. let's do this. Yeah, I, I guess you would think as he cooled down after the fact. He would be like, "Well, you know, we got we got to stay on task here. This is the prophesized call of Kals. Got to let him do his thing first, and then he'll go get the Iron Throne back." But, but, but yeah. But the thing is, oh, look at the pointers. I mean, they just happen to have stumbled across a trove of riches in the form of Lazarine slaves that will pay for passage of all of them to Westeros. Yeah. Yeah. The omens are good. <laughs> they're pointing. Give me a sign. Yeah. Any sign. They're pointing in the direction. They're pointing west, I guess. Yes, clearly. So uh, Drogo appears to get very good medical treatment, but did he? Woe unto Miri if he's double-crossed them. Yeah. Quotho will not be forgiving. You know? Right. I mean, Quotho's life depends on this. Remember? I mean, he follows him. You know. <laughs> right. The, all three of them. <laughs> all three of them are tied together. Yeah. I'm. A, you'd think with that fact, with that knowledge, they would have fought a little harder against this plan. You know, like I, I know the Maybe. call has the ultimate say, and he said, you know, it's got to get healed up. But they really seem to not trust Miri Mazdor. Honestly, if I was Quotho, I would have spent at least a couple of years of my life as a blood rider, learning 
basic field medicine. That's a good... Because, yeah, that, that would be a good idea. That makes a lot of sense. <laughs> You're a very diligent blood rider. <laughs> it's nothing, really. <laughs> All right, let's draw a line under this. All right. Um, as always, you can reach us at ghost.harrenhall and at gmail.com and follow us on Twitter at Ghost Harren Hall. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. And if you please wouldn't mind going out and giving us a rate and or review wherever you can do so, we would greatly appreciate that. If you don't have time to leave us a review, we understand, but if you please just uh, consider giving us five stars, that takes but a second. We would greatly appreciate Woo-hoo. it. Yeah. Thanks for listening. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Hey, everyone. It's Mac. Uh, Simon's second toilet story ran a bit too long, so we had to move it until after the music. So if you're interested in hearing it, stick around till the music's done. So the other toilet story is, is a plumbing mystery. I okay. throw this one out there. This this goes along with the flying iPad in terms of... <laughs> a, Luckily, a my complete... iPad did not fly into the toilet. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Nothing to stop it. Nothing can go wherever it wants. Right. So um, I go to the bathroom and I walk in and there's water on the floor. And I'm like, uh-oh, uh-oh trouble. Uh-oh. So I yeah. sort of I mop up the mess and I trace the leak. And the leak is coming from uh, the screw that connects the cistern to the sit part of the yep. toilet. It's dripping you. down that screw. So the water, I'm, I'm guessing it's coming from the cistern because yep. it comes from the cistern down that screw and down to the floor. Yeah. So I, something's wrong. I stick a bucket under there. I turn the faucet, the tap off. Yep. And I flush the toilet. So it flushes, empties the cistern. No more water there, but the bucket in case. And I leave it alone. And I say, don't, don't use that toilet. Use the other toilet. So, uh-huh. you know, we're done. I come back to the next day. The bucket is full. What? Like, full. And it turns out that I thought I hadn't turned the tap the whole way. I'd left it. So the cistern had filled back up again, and the leak had happened again. Oh, man. And I was That's like, a pretty oh. aggressive leak to fill a bucket yeah, in one day. Yeah, exactly. I mean, like, the floor was really wet when I went in there, so I wasn't too surprised. So I was like, oh, man. So I throw the bucket of water down the toilet, and I turn the tap the whole way and uh, put the bucket back and flush the toilet again to re-empty the system. Next day, nothing. Bone dry. Okay. Absolutely bone dry. No problem at all. I'm like, oh, at least I turned the tap off properly this time. <laughs> quite quite the plumber, the aren't I? Yeah. Exactly. And just out of curiosity, I lift the lid of the system and it's filled up. I, I, I failed again to turn that tap off. What? Are you turning and the right tap off? Maybe you've turned I, I, the there's tap only off one. The sink. <laughs> there's only one. <laughs> but now the cistern is filled up, but the bucket is bone dry. A, a so bucket that was full from the from bucket, the which drip. the last time I'd left it overnight had filled to the brim. This time, not a single drop of water in it. Huh. Now. Interesting. I've, since then, I've, I've not moved the bucket, believe me, but I've been slowly reopening the tap. Yeah. To allow it, because it's, because it was going, I did, when I realized that I hadn't closed it properly the second time either, when I flushed it, I listened and there was a very, you could hear like a thin drizzle of water. So it was right. filling up. So then, slow, since then, I've slowly been reopening the tap, 
so that it gets you know faster and faster refilling the system. Still not a single drop of water in that bucket. It's huh. like there was some huge leak that has gone away. That has fixed itself. That's, that's just fixed itself. That's what leaks do, I think. They just fix themselves. That, in my experience, <laughs> that, that is the first time. <laughs> so wow. I have absolutely no idea. Now, I will say I have not got the tap back to full open yet. So maybe it's a sort of like a speed thing. Maybe it's when it's filling up at full speed, it does it so fast that the cutoff doesn't happen and it overspills or something. Hmm. You would, oh, I wouldn't I, think that's the case, but I don't know. I'm not a licensed right. plumber. Yeah, exactly. But how do you explain this otherwise? I mean, this is just absolutely mysterious to me. Yeah. Especially since when it was just slowly leaking before, or slowly, when the valve was just slightly open, it still filled the bucket. Exactly. But then when it was slightly less open, it didn't let a single <laughs> drop through. I have absolutely no idea. I mean, I was like, Oh god, I gotta call a plumber. On it. But apparently, all you have to do is just turn a tap off and wait a little while, and everything will be fine. <laughs> Hooray it. me! That's what they teach them in plumbing school, and what plumbers <laughs> don't tell us. Apparently. <laughs> so yeah, I, I, I invite listeners to chip in on what that might be because I yeah. am, I'm still hesitant about the bathroom. I mean, it's got a tile floor, so it's not going to, you know, if the leak happens, it's not the end of the world. And the leak is from the system, not the toilet, so it's not right. quite as revolting. Yep. Hmm. That is my toilet uh, stories. That is something. I don't know. I don't know what it mm. is. But we are either. past the 10-minute mark. So. <laughs> yeah, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, toilet humor. <laughs> 